probably all be checking in with someone every now and then. After we, we imploded in the league last year, I wasn't right for yeah. a long time. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTV Sports app now. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Yes, you're very welcome along. Wednesday evenings off the ball. So ESPN reporting Manchester United have decided Eric Ten Hag is the man to bring the good times back. More on that in just a moment. Dermot Galise will join us this hour to preview the Masters. Matt Williams on the European and Six Nations weekend ahead. And on the football show, really interesting chat with Mick Clegg. So he has written a book on his time as the Manchester United performance and power coach was his official title under Alex Ferguson. He was there for about 12 years from uh, 2000 onwards, so spent a lot of time with Roy Keane. Keane wanted to bring him to the O2 World Cup, interestingly. Mick McCarthy wasn't so keen. Uh, Beckham, Skulls, credited with really turning Ronaldo into a world-class athlete, so has some interesting stories to tell Mick Clegg. He's on the way on the football show after nine. 53106 is the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, also a world-class athlete. Hello. Absolutely. I actually feel sorry for him. I'm sure he's got a, a great um, you know, a career behind him. But Mick Clegg has got to be one of those people who's gone around his entire life saying, no, not, not Nick Clegg. No, not, not Michael Clegg. No, no, Mick, Mick Clegg. Mick, yeah, that's right. M. Yeah, M for, M for Michael. Yeah. Uh, his entire life, especially after the disastrous deputy PM that they had over in the UK. Well, indeed. Nathan well, it Murphy. It got worse after that. It got worse. Mick Clegg must have thought when Nick left politics. Phew! That's that gone. And then he goes in and he becomes one of the main men at Facebook at a time when the entire world <laughs> is turning its attention to Facebook and everything that is going on in the company. Mm. I don't know if he brought that up with Mick. I presume it was question number one, was it? <laughs> All right, you, you've got the look of a man who said, God damn it, I never even thought of that. No, I felt it would be disrespectful to ignore all of the content of his book and go down <laughs> the issue of his you name. You have a funny name, Mick. <laughs> Mick, a lot of effort into the book, but there's something, yeah. there's a bone I need to pick with you. Uh, do you know what's very interesting? This shows kind of how backward football was in a sense. So if the name Mick Clegg's familiar, his son Michael Clegg played a couple of times for the Manchester United senior team and his other son was involved with the club as well. And in a sense, one of the things that brought Mick Clegg the fitness trainer to the attention of Manchester United was how strong his sons were and Mick almost was uh, self-educated in the art of power and plyometrics when nobody knew what plyometrics was and he was coaching uh, you know in, in his, like a, a gym around Manchester and, and lots of the even young people working with him were having great results and, and so it was kind of just on the, on the basis of that Brian Kidd rang him and initially he turned them down because Brian Kidd said can you go and work with the senior team and he said oh, if, I, if I do plyometrics with the senior team now it, they'll all get injured and he turned it down and they came back to him in the year 2000 so I was sort of saying to him like did you have any qualifications like did you, did you go to the university of whatever and he was saying no 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 this is like going and working with Manchester United in the year 2000 just because he was known in the area as pretty good in the whole area of fitness and you know one of the first players he worked with in the summer of 2000 was a Roy Keane peak of his powers Roy Keane who was you know recovered I suppose a year on from the cruise ship but had ankle problems and some hamstring knee problems and there was a sense of over the summer of 2000 let's try and get this guy right and uh, that's when Mick started working with Keane and at that stage, he was saying Keane really hadn't done very much in the way of weights, even though he'd been over there for decades, you know, it just wasn't part of his 
uh, routine, which was kind of amazing. So, look, the book is interesting. He sort of does a chapter on each player, you know, and there's there's stuff that won't surprise you, like Paul Scholes, not the world's greatest athlete, not the strongest, not the fastest, all that kind of stuff. And some way along his tenure, they brought in like a machine which could uh, measure, I suppose, your cognitive uh, functions in terms of uh, there's lots of shapes when you put on the 3D goggles and you have to keep track of what those various shapes are doing. And he said Scholes was consistently the highest performer when it came to that cognitive test, for instance. Or Beckham was uh, hands down the fittest player when it came to things like the bleep test that he ever came across. Although Beckham was always on to me, how do I get faster? I'm not very fast. and You know, all that kind of stuff. So um, if you're a Manchester United fan, that will be of interest between 9 and 10. A little peek behind the uh, curtain. Uh, they've got bigger fish to fry, though, Manchester United, Nathan. Eric Ten Hag. Well, Eric Ten Hag seems to be the man. You say that, but McClague might be getting the call again because it seems one of Eric Ten Hag's first PowerPoint presentation slides was on the physical conditioning of Manchester United players and how he is going to correct it. So news breaking in the last hour that it looks as though he is the number one choice. Uh, why that is? will come out over the coming days, but already it seems that the sheer cost and complications of bringing Maurizio Pochettino, I mean, it's a lot easier to get this deal done. They can get him from Ajax for under 2 million, whereas Pochettino could cost anywhere between 15 and 20, and they don't know if Paris Saint-Germain even want to let him go, whether they want to wait and see who their new director of football is, if Leonardo goes during the summer. It's interesting because the news tonight comes just a few hours after Miguel Delaney had an article about Ten Hag's interview and how United weren't massively overwhelmed by what he had produced during his interview and some were not convinced. Mm. Uh, he spoke about a five-year plan. Five-year plan. <laughs> Years one and two need to be impressive to get anywhere near a five-year plan. And listen, maybe Jurgen Klopp had a five-year plan and listen, look at what he did by the end of the fifth year. But it feels where Manchester United are right now to be even thinking about five-year plans uh, is a little bit fanciful. And also that he lacked a bit of charisma. And that's something that has been spoken about a lot around Ajax and his press conferences aren't always the most fascinating. And listen, should charisma matter when he's you know, brought brought them to within, what, a kick of the ball of a Champions League final and Ajax side from... Like, Ajaxes just don't get to Champions League finals anymore. Mm. They've consistently won trophies. But he is going into a Premier League where he's going to be competing with the two most charismatic managers in world football and Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, who are just magnetic when they're on TV. And again, all this is fine if you start and you start winning. And his calmness is what we'll talk about and how he's not looking for the attention. And he's a very different figure from a Mourinho or a Van Gaal. But if you're not, and there's not something there to back it up in the performance element of it, in the interview on Monday Night Football afterwards... It does feel underwhelming. Yeah. So Mark Ogden on ESPN broke the story. And as you rightly say, Nathan, in his report, he says PSG's readiness to hold out for a £15 million compensation package was another issue for United, who were able to appoint Ten Hag if they pay a £1.7 million compensation figure to Ajax. And it seems uh, René Moulinstein is uh, being considered as a, for a return to the club as one of the uh, Ten Hag Not the only one, Joe. Tenants. Did I hear Steve? Steve McLaren. Yeah. yeah. So Ten Hag was, worked with Steve when Steve was in uh, Twente. And they share a language, of course. 
The Miguel Delaney uh, in piece did catch my eye, though. I think, you know, the, the most accurate line in Miguel's piece is probably this, where he's summing up sources at Manchester United and their sense of the two candidates, the two primary candidates in Pochettino and Ten Hag. And Miguel writes, Pochettino's greatly admired by some of the United hierarchy, but as with Ten Hag, that is far from unanimous. The feeling remains there isn't the 100% obvious choice. I, think that's, I I would think that is the reality amongst the Manchester United hierarchy. Uh, they they sent the 100% obvious choice to Spurs and surprise, surprise, he's doing rather well there. So they're left with Pochettino or Ten Hag and they're going for the cheaper scene as neither is standing out massively. Is Pochettino not the 100% obvious choice? Okay, Paris Saint-Germain get knocked out of the Champions League, but it's a complete basket case with what he's having to deal with. But he has shown in the Premier League that he can enact a five-year plan, that he can make players better. And it feels he brings far more gravitas to the role than Ten Hag does because like, the one thing we're going to hear very quickly is sources. It's Manchester United are not short on them. And over the coming days and weeks, we'll hear the instant reaction. And at the start of next season, we'll know instantly what the players feel about Eric Ten Hag. He needs to have the confidence to get rid of those players. He needs to have a clear out in the space of a year of any of the characters he doesn't like. But I think Pochettino is that figure who can go in and take control of a club and also I think has that charisma and has the emotional connection which is a big thing. It's the thing that Klopp had that helped him survive when in those first couple of years it wasn't always going brilliantly and there were doubts there I'm sure every Liverpool supporter now likes to believe that oh we always knew he was going to be one of our greatest ever managers first couple of years when Liverpool were stuttering and not qualifying for the Champions League there were big question marks but I think there was there was a love from because of how he spoke about the club and how real it was who knows but the way he connected with the supporters that's Pochettino like Pochettino's an emotional man a man who likes to have that bond with his players with his supporters and that's why I'm just not sure if Ten Hag and this how much have I seen of Ajax? I'm watching them in the Champions League. I'm not seeing them week in, week out. I'm not watching all of his press conferences. Maybe there's way more depth and there's a tactical genius there that can sit for 20 minutes in every press conference to tell you. But I, if it's a choice between the two and money shouldn't be an object, it's Pochettino every day of the week. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, to be honest. Uh, glad you clarified. I was mystified as to how the leader of the Lib Dems developed skulls and Keane says Caroline. I obviously am not pronouncing his name very well. It's Mick, as in Mick. Michael. Enunciate Joe Mick Mick We already had Louis van Gaal's Red Army I'm not sure I'm ready for another Dutch experience at United Let's face it you would win the league with Ajax Joe Uh, Bloody right I would and I would do a better job than Ralph Rangnick and all (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear the sources about Joe Malloy's management style (laughs) Too much charisma Too much (laughs) Uh, We need Eric Ten Hag in here to balance it out The charisma point had been made about Ten Hag around his Spurs interview last year where his English wasn't very good by all accounts. I didn't realise it had resurfaced again at Old Trafford. There are so many competing sources, Rich, at Old Trafford that you don't quite know (laughs) if God, he's wowed everyone or he's uh, really been very average and underwhelming because I actually genuinely have seen both over the past week. They're they're a rich seam are the sources. You can barely uh, walk down uh, Manchester without uh, bumping into them. But yeah, like the the English thing did come up apparently according to reports that I read last week his English has improved markedly since he was interviewed about the Spurs job so that no longer seems to be an issue but as regards like magnetism and personality they've had Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal two of the most charismatic managers on the planet Earth in that job and they've both been you know ultimately uh, wasted their time 
So why not have somebody who just has a bit of footballing nose about them and a, and a track record that yeah. goes back the last five years? Uh, and in there, uh, whether or not, you know, it's, 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 it's appointments around them. And we mentioned umpteen times before the need for a clear out there and how much that should fall on a director of football, et cetera, et cetera, and a strong one. Mm. That's as important as uh, Ten Hag and his assistants going in there. Uh, Nathan Murphy. I want Good call. To, I want to make some award-winning radio here in just a second. So I'm going to get to Richie's first story. And after I do, okay. in descending order, you're giving me the Premier League's most charismatic five managers. <laughs> Say nothing. Current. Oh, current. Oh, current. 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 Okay. current. Or right, would you rather do all time? No, that's too difficult. Oh, no, current. 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 Okay, current. Top five yeah. most charismatic in descending order. We should start the news round, though. Richie, it is as ever with thanks to Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. So you have some uh, Mark Ogden of ESPN for us here. Yeah, he's the man who broke the story. Eric Ten Hag, as we mentioned, being close to being appointed the new Manchester United manager. According to multiple reports, Ogden's among them. The Ajax head coach is the preferred candidate to take the reins from Ralph Rangnick this summer. Ten Hag has already held talks with United about the role and would cost them just €2 million Euro to extricate him from his Ajax deal. Ogden helped break the story this evening, saying Ten Hag is the preferred candidate of the Glazers and chief executive Richard Arnold. Still a little bit of work to do. They've got to come to an agreement with Ajax, but I'm told that United have chosen Ten Hag over Mauricio Pochettino, not just for financial reasons, because he's a, a cheaper option in terms of getting out of his contracts at, at Ajax, but also for footballing reasons. The fact that Ten Hag is seen as a as a rising starring coach and a guy with a, a flawless record so far, whereas Pochettino has had a difficult time at PSG, struggled to get past the Champions League round of 16, having been knocked out by Real Madrid this year, has had difficulties with a certain authority at the club since... Lionel Messi arrived last summer, he's got big players like Neymar and Mbappe, so although Pochettino has the Premier League credentials, United believe that Ten Hag, with his style of play, with his successful track record, with his ability to make teams overperform as he has done with Ajax, makes him the ideal candidate. You see, there's a lot to quibble with there, for instance. I mean, like, Ten Hag will join a long line of successive managers who haven't made a great transition from the Dutch League to the Premier League. And in Pochettino's defence, and Nathan, you were dancing around these points as well, I mean, like, it's very hard for anyone to assert their authority on the basket case that is PSG. And he does have Premier League experience, has done a very good job in a Premier League environment and will be a better manager, I would think, as well, for the Premier League experiences and for the PSG experience as badly as it has gone. And so you're saying, oh, well, we're going for Ten Hag because his record is perfect. Well, he hasn't really been at a big enough place to kind of fail. Like, if your record isn't perfect at Ajax, then you're never going to be considered. So you just wonder if this is another decision being made by people who are looking at CVs as opposed to thinking about football in practical terms. To play a devil's advocate, we would say that people who go about their business in the right way and work up the coaching ladder. And he went to Bayern Munich and worked under Pep Guardiola and coached the second team there and learned from Guardiola and went through the Dutch league and is taking the steps up the ladder the right way. But football has changed. Ajax to Manchester United is an absolute world apart. And Maurizio Pochettino, albeit it went wrong at Tottenham, the Tottenham players still love Maurizio Pochettino. They would have taken Maurizio Pochettino back in a heartbeat. It had just gone a little bit stale. I heard recently someone pointing out that there was talk at the time, could he just take a six-month sabbatical, that he'd almost just given so much of himself in those five years at Spurs that he needed a break, they needed a break. Mentally, emotionally, everyone just needed some time out. He obviously ends up going in with Paris Saint-Germain. It is a complete basket case. Paddy Pochettino's a bloody brilliant manager. And had Spurs playing as good a style of football as we've ever seen them play in the Premier League, got the very best out of... 
Deli Alley at the start, out of Harry Kane, out of countless players who have played their best football of their career under Maurizio Pochettino. So if it is a £15 million saving, I think mm. that's one Champions League campaign. Yeah. Eamon, <laughs> Not even. Eamon and Kildare. Jesus, lads, you've Ten Hag pretty much doomed to fail before he even arrives. No charisma, cheaper option, etc. Give the man a chance at least. Poch hasn't got a trophy in the cabinet yet. Very little to suggest he's a better option. Eamon and Kildare. Eamon and Kildare. The no charisma, cheaper option points are not ours. They are being reported generally. So, I mean, I don't know how charismatic he is in the job interview or not, but that's certainly been reported around his Spurs interview last year and this year in places around Manchester United. And the cheaper option, again, that just is a fact, isn't it? £15 million to get Pochettino, 1.7 to get Ten Hag, you know. Uh, someone says charismatic managers, number one, Ron Atkinson, number two, everyone else, which we don't subscribe to. <laughs> Uh, Nathan, give us your ter- top five uh, current then. This is, what the, this is what we've been waiting this for. This is a lot of pressure. This is the big one. Practically going through the Premier League table. <laughs> Number five. Yeah. Sean Dyche. Would you say he's charismatic, yeah? Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, You're not turning yeah, off the yeah, Sean yeah. Dyche press conference. Okay. It's old school charisma. It's old school English charisma. Yeah. But he's definitely got something about him. Okay. Now, maybe he's benefiting from the other 15 who have been left out. <laughs> Need to take a hard look at themselves. <laughs> I, I was tempted to put Frank Lampard in, but does Frank Lampard have charisma or do I just really like watching him because everybody knows the Frank Lampard interview? <laughs> no, seriously. And the fact that it's becoming such a horrendous failure at Everton, yeah. but I'm not putting Frank Lampard in. Uh, number number four, Ooh. Thomas Tuchel. Oh, yeah. A peculiar kind of charisma, though. Oh, like no. An incredibly nerdy man, you suspect, but just so likable and lovable and enthusiastic, carries himself in a really nice manner. I agree with that. Very confident. Very confident man and uh, authoritative, I would say. So, yes, I think there's charisma there in Tuchel for sure. Okay, number four, done. Number three, Antonio Conte. Is it more threatening kind of charisma, but I'll give it to you. I'm, there's, there's one, I, know, I know where this is going and there's one that's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's gonna, already I know is going to miss out here and I'm, I'm upset about it. Okay, Conte three, go on. You, 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 Thomas Frank was close, Richie. All right, Thomas Frank was close. Uh, uh, number two, it's very, very tight between number two and number one. Uh, I'm going to go for Pep number two and Klopp number one. I can't disagree. It's clearly, I mean, you're working back from number one there, aren't you? It's, it's obviously Klopp. Yeah, yeah. Everything about him, uh, everything publicly we see of him is somebody you just want to spend time with. Though I think I've said, and any amount of journalists will tell you. He's the most intense man. I have never seen fun Jurgen Klopp at a Liverpool press conference or a post-match interview. It is the most intense three minutes of your life having a microphone in front of Jurgen Klopp as he waits for you to say the wrong thing and just devour you. Mm. But Klopp has it. Guardiola has it. And listen, that's that's what Eric Ten Hag is going up against. The four managers who are the top four are the main rivals next season. I can't believe we've Did I leave anyone out, Richie? Mr. Hasenhutl deserves a shout. No, I, I tell you what, Enda Fallon on YouTube has called you here. The five most charismatic current Premier League managers, Jesse Marsh, Jesse Marsh, Jesse Marsh, Jesse Marsh, and Jesse Marsh, says uh, Enda. I haven't seen needs, enough of Jesse Marsh. It's, it's, it's going to grow on you. It would Bielsa have made the five top five most charismatic? Bielsa would have been number one, two, and three. <laughs> no. <laughs> For Enda, he would have been. Most lovable. Most lovable. Yeah, no, you love him, but like it was painful. I mean, we, did you stick through all his interviews ever? I don't speak Spanish. To see yet. what happened with it's him and like, the relationship on. between him and his uh, interpreter was. Yeah. 
always interesting. Are you honestly telling me that Frank Lampard isn't charismatic? He's not any good at managing football teams, but surely he's got charisma, says an anonymous texture. We've uh, we've talked too much about charisma here, I feel. Yeah. Not enough about the Masters, which I know it isn't on Richard's oh, n- news Christ. round. It's not on Richard's Whoa. entire news round on a Wednesday night Whoa. before. But so, so I'm curious to see what else you have here, Richie. Go on, carry on, carry on. Uh, speaking of lack of charisma, the Austrian FA has denied making an approach for United's interim boss, Ralph Rangnick. OFB sporting director Peter Schuttle was seen boarding a plane to Manchester with no plans to attend the Man City Atletico Madrid game last night. Franco Foda left his position as Austrian coach after their World Cup playoff defeat to Wales. But the OFB have denied making an approach to Rangnick, who assumes a consultancy position at Old Trafford in the summer. I think he's got a bit of charisma. I think he's a pretty impressive personality. Does good interviews. I wouldn't... Not Nathan's top five, Rangnick. though, clearly. No, he's top on, eight. He's on the yeah. top five. On the top five. Uh, Carlo, the eyebrow alone is charisma. Yeah, absolutely. Carlo Ancelotti will be in the Real Madrid dugout for tonight's Champions League quarterfinal. First leg away to Chelsea. The Italian has been cleared to travel to London, having finally produced a negative COVID-19 test. Starting lineups for this one, Eduard Mendy starts in goal for Chelsea, a back three of Andreas Christensen, Thiago Silva and Antonio Rudiger. Uh, the returning Reese James and Cesar Azpilicueta are the wingbacks tonight. Jorginho, N'Golo Kante and Mason Mount are in midfield. And then it's the front two of Christian Pulisic and Kai Havertz. For Real, former Chelsea man Thibaut Courtois in goal for them, the evergreen Danny Carvajal's at right back alongside Adar Militao, David Alaba and Ferlon Mendy. In midfield and speaking of evergreen, it's Casimiro, Luka Modric and Tony Kroos and up front Franco Valverde and Vinicius Jr. flank Karim Benzema. Gareth Bale is among the Real subs. Tonight's other first leg sees Villarreal entertain Bayern Munich and both of those games start at 8. Yeah, we'll keep a very close eye on them, not least uh, Stamford Bridge. Obviously they're in off the back of bizarre result at the weekend and Tuchel this evening has reverted to his standard uh, back three Nathan which Champions League game did you find yourself watching the most last night any thoughts on it uh, a lot of flicking uh, I thought Liverpool were pretty impressive created an awful lot of chances probably should have won by more than two goals in the end I thought Alexander was Alexander Arnold was just outstanding again his range of passing Salah definitely lacking a bit of form a bit of confidence at, at just the wrong time but perfect game on Sunday against City to get it back and City Atletico was a tough watch in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, you knew exactly what Atletico Madrid were going to do after 10 minutes. It was just all Manchester City possession-wise and they were very patient and to be able to bring Phil Foden off the bench, he just is becoming the ultimate big game player. Whatever it is about the best teams, the best defensive systems, his ability to pick a pocket of space at the right time, to spin on it, to turn, get the correct pass. Even the pass to De Bruyne last night, there was two options inside and it was positive he was going to go for one of them. You almost had to catch yourself to realise he'd already played the ball to De Bruyne on the outside and De Bruyne finishes. So mm. I still think City would be a little bit concerned. One goal, Atletico Madrid, Champions yeah. League, the history. Mm-hmm. Big time. But they, they were utterly dominant. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Charisma Derby then, Richard Turfmore. Absolutely. Burnley and Everton in woeful form ahead of tonight's Premier League game at Turf Moor. The hosts have taken just one point from their last five matches, while Everton have taken just seven points from the last available 39. With team news ahead of that 7.30 start, here's Peter Smith. A change of emphasis and a tank for Sean Dyche, who makes three changes overall. Corne and Rodriguez are in up front, along with Collins, who returns in defence. Cork, McNeil and Long are relegated to the bench. As for Frank Lampard's Everton, Jared Branthwaite is a surprise inclusion as one of two changes, with Anthony Gordon also in for a start. Keane is suspended. Gray is named as a substitute. At Turf Moor, it's Burnley against Everton. So, do or die for Everton. That is not an 11 that you want to be going into a do or die game with. 
their suspensions with Keane and Alan. Seamus Coleman's only on the bench. A back four of John Joe Kenny, Jared Brantwaite, Ben Godfrey, and Vitaly Melikenko is that is a, a back four that could get you relegated. Mason Holgate playing in the middle of midfield. Mm. They're in trouble. Burnley. Burnley more or less at full strength. No Ben Me, but great to see Nathan Collins gets another start in the Premier League in a game like this. Yeah. Right now you're looking at that and thinking that if Richarlison and Calvert Loon can't somehow drag them through this game. Like sixteen defeats in twenty one matches for Everton. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. Uh, they were very flat Burnley at the weekend. You're presuming there'll be a major response this evening under lights at Turf Moor. So again, updates across the evening on that game uh, why did you call it the charisma derby says a texture I'm not going to reopen that don't worry about it it's, uh, <laughs> not, it's really not worth your time don't, uh, don't mention it so Rich one last story or two you should mention the Republic of Ireland women's under-19s making a winning start to the second phase of European Championship qualifying. Wexford Youth's Della Doherty bagged both goals in a tuna win over the Czech Republic in Opava this evening. Ireland will play the group leaders France on Saturday. And Keith Wood says Munster still need to take their time about appointing a new head coach. Ahead of this week's Heineken Champions Cup trip to Exeter, Peter O'Mahony said the lack of clarity event around Johan van Graan's eventual successor was not ideal. But Wood told this morning's OTBAM that the scale of the appointment requires patience. Because of the manner in which Van Graan had, had agreed to a contract and then, revo- or then um, took uh, an, a new opportunity to get out of it, it took a six-month clause, which I still think is a ludicrous clause to have in your contract. Um, but, but because of that, we're floundering for a, a new coach and it's a dreadful time to get a new coach. So I would say just slow it down because this has to be the absolutely right appointment whatever that is and no like like we're all like i'm used to play but i haven't played for a long time i couldn't tell you whether these coaches are good coaches or, or not you know so but the next coach for for monster and the next coaching ticket for monster has to be something that maximizes the quality of some of the young kids coming through and then um uh really supports that i mean i, I talked to ian costello ian costello has has taken over the academy. Um, he's got a decent plan in place for the pathway. That's what needs to be invested in. I mean, that's the future. So we can talk about all the issues of the past and we can talk about all of those things. But actually, if you're looking at, at Monster Rugby, you want, to, you want to tidy it up with a structure. It doesn't mean you win, actually. But, no, it but, means, he, he, but I think it's something you can stand for and something you can stand behind. Yeah, that was Keith in studio this morning with Jaron Owen, available to watch back on uh, YouTube or Twitter, any of our social channels, or of course the OTB app. We are pretty much done. Richie, thank you. Nice nuts. Uh, Nathan Dermacalise on the way to talk some Masters. Do you care to give us a pick? Anyone you're feeling strongly over? Oh, the head says Justin Thomas, the heart says Jordan Speed. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Part three just happening. Nile Horn might make an appearance. Who knows? It could be just a beautiful thing on Wednesday evening. Yeah. I presume Tiger's not playing the part three. The son wants to play. Oh. Charlie wants to play. So there was talk that Tiger was going to make an appearance. Okay. Very a good. new man. Very good. Uh, Nathan Murphy, thank you. Thanks, Joe. Probably I'll be checking in with someone every now and then. After we, we imploded in the league last year, I wasn't right for yeah. a long time. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTV Sports app now.